0: Welcome to Dragon's Voice podcast. I am your host, Truly Restines, and I hope you guys are keeping well and safe as per usual. You know we've got many, many more episodes to come, and we've always got the uh, this show to keep me sane. Because uh, I hope you really enjoyed the last. Uh, few episodes that I have with Kevin Lee badly etc so uh, i really hope you've been enjoying them make sure you give a like share subscribe to the channel you want to we want to expand uh, this podcast we want to expand the show really and hopefully more will come in the future however we got to keep going we got to keep going with the guests and this time it's on demand uh, you guys voted in this particular person and uh, he's always good on twitter and that's the best thing about social media you can get him on twitter Former Wales international, Norwich city legend, Hall of Famer, I might add, Huddersfield um, player, uh, Leicester City, the list goes on. From Bangor, uh, his name is Euron Roberts. Euron, how's it going, pal? It is, you all right? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. You know, yes. gone into, the, I know we had a brief chat about the, you know, trying to get you on. I mean, the thing is, is with me, I want to try and keep the podcast, you know, a little bit professional because I know sometimes my mates always said to me, um, why don't you just send them a tweet, you know, and I said, well, the thing is, is because when you send them a tweet, it just sounds a bit unprofessional, you know, some of the times you'd rather DM them or something, your private message, try to keep the who's coming on next, you know, who's coming on where. But I'm actually glad to get you on because I, followed, I follow your podcast with Alice Smith and Danny Garbadon. I, I follow you on the uh, BBC uh, Radio, uh, Cymru, and everything you do uh, on the media. And it's absolutely fantastic uh, to have you uh, with me just to talk about your career, especially at international level, and just to talk, well, generally about football, and anything in general.
1: To be fair, when, when I saw your tweet, and um, was it me... Gabs and Big John Hartson. Yeah. When when you told me that I'd been voted not the most popular one, but the ones that the that the subscribers wanted on next. How could I refuse, mate? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. How yeah. How could I refuse? So you've got me, mate. So ask ask away, ask whatever you want, and I will try and answer them as honestly as I can.
0: Well, um, the one thing I really I I don't want to start off um it's like I want us always to be fun and everything, right? But uh, you and I have got something in common, and that's um, one the of beard. the beard. Oh yeah, the, the beard. I've, I've got one. Well, my glasses are over there, but because I can see you properly, I don't need them. <laughs>
1: but <laughs> no, I could That'll just be a blur. I couldn't even see you. <laughs> <laughs> but
0: um, the one thing I really want to talk about, and I'm very passionate about this particular, these particular charities, is um, dementia uh, researching and everything. I'm very. Um, apart from me doing the podcast i do a lot of uh, playwrights i'm a playwright myself i do a lot of theater work and one of the things i always did my my missus pointed out to me she said you're very specific about spreading awareness about dementia and alzheimer's i said because it's such a horrible horrible disease no one deserves it um and because you're very well known for scoring goals with your headers and everything i really want to know what what brought it on? What was the reason why you wanted to go into dementia research?
1: Well, about 18 months ago, um, I was asked to present a, a documentary for S4C, um, obviously the, the Welsh language channel, um, about the effects of heading a ball and does it bring on early signs of dementia? And I, I think they'd asked me because, as you just pointed out, I sent forward six foot three, um, decent in the air, scored a lot of my goals with my head um, and a, a part of the documentary was we went to, I live in Norwich so um, there was a, a new study that had come out in the U, UEA, the University of East Anglia in Norwich which is only a couple of miles from from where from my house um, and we were supposed to go to speak and have an interview with Dr Michael Gray who put this study together so we, we, we went up and, and it was for, TV, for effects on TV, it was better if I sat down and did some of these tests that he sort of invented for 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 them to to see if there's early signs of of this horrible illness disease that that it's it's you know it's, it's, you lose people twice through it. So um, I sat down, did these tests, and and he he asked me he needed I think about 40 ex professional footballs both. Ladies and men to, to join this study, would would I be, would I sort of volunteer? And I went, Yeah, of course I will, no problem. And they're simple tests, I can do them on a the tablet, you can do them on a the computer at home. Uh, you do them every six months, and then they compare results and see if there's something there to to be aware of. And I just thought, you know, I'm 52 now. I look and I'm probably the most famous case of an ex footballer sadly passing away through dementia is Jeff Aston. Uh, and, and Jeff was diagnosed at 55 with early, early signs of dementia. He died at 59. It's not far off my age, and I just thought of the amount of times I've I've headed a ball, and it's not just in the game. People see you heading a ball in the game, you know, every goal kick, every set piece. I'd be one of the main targets because of my height, but it's on a daily basis the repetition of heading a ball in training. because you know, I was, I was, I was good in the air. But when I was thirteen, fourteen, I wasn't very good. It's something that I had to practice on a daily basis when I when I first went to Watford. So that's that's the thought about it. Uh, I'm a big believer in prevention is better than cure. If I've said that properly, and I know you can't cure dementia, but you can sort of keep it away. There's things you can do. There's medication you can take that 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 sort of help f- fight it until maybe later in life and. And and I want to try and and bring awareness to it because, me personally, I do think there's a a big big part of heading in football and and dementia. I think there's a study in Glasgow that came out saying that ex-professional footballers are three and a half times more likely to die from the the, the illness than the general public. Um, I've got a family, so I want to, if, if it does eventually happen, I want to put things in place that, but
0: they had they, they okay, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, of course. Because I remember when um, the news broke out that uh, Bobby Charlton has got dementia, uh, being in his early 80s, you know, and uh, he's, he's lived an incredible life, so fair play to him. But, you know, um, but then to find out later that his brother, Jack, had it, you do wonder, hmm, is, 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 what's going on? What is happening, you know? And um, the one thing I really wanted to know is that because there's – There is an uproar about it and I'm stuck in the middle. So I want you to help me with this. I want to know from a professional footballer's opinion and considering that you've actually done the dementia research and everything because, um, (laughs) excuse me, because uh, uh, they're trying to, there's a big debate now saying, can you head to the ball in today's type of football? But considering going back, you know, 50, 60 years ago, there were leather balls. they were a lot more hard in the rain and because, you know, you, you, if You try to head to a ball back then, you get a concussion. Um, but in today's football, would you say it's a lot more safer, or does it, does the ball need to be more uh, softer, safer?
1: What what's your general? I mean, the, ball, the, the balls are lighter, you know. And, and you, you mentioned the uh, Bobby and, and Jack Charlton. Um, you know, Jack was a big, strong, centre half. Um, you, you look at other players that, that have died, uh, Dave Watson, a former. I think he played for Southampton, he played for England. He was a centre-half, strong in the air. We lost Nobby Styles a few weeks ago through the same illness, which, you know, he was a little combative midfielder, not your typical big centre-forward, big centre-half. I mean, I, I, I told you I lived in Norwich. We, we lost Duncan Forbes, uh, Scottish international, big commanding central defender who loved heading the ball. So there is a, there is a pattern, if, if, if you know what I mean. And, and you're right, you're right, you know, even when I play... Um, you wouldn't play with brand new, or you wouldn't trade with brand new balls every day. You'd have balls that you'd been using for eighteen months to two years. So they weren't they weren't great. The balls we played with were played the game with. They were a lot lighter, but still, it hurt if you caught it long. Um, and nowadays, you're right. The balls the balls are a lot lighter. But I just mean I think by being lighter, they travel quicker through the air. So they, they land at your forehead quicker. and I don't want bat heading banning from football. I'd be a hypocrite if I said that because I earned a living from, from using my head, basically, with the goals that, that I scored. Would I like to see it head, the, the, the art of heading being used less in training? I think that would be a good idea. Uh, would I like to see youngsters not being allowed to head a ball until a certain age, as they do in America? I think they're banned from 11 years downwards from heading the ball. I think the Scottish FA have introduced that. I think the English FA are, are thinking about it. I think it would be a good idea. And, and there's many reasons for that. I think by by banning kids from, from, from a certain age from heading a ball, then I think you improve their awareness, first touch, um, passing ability. Um, you know, and you, you look at maybe examples from... from abroad and different countries. There's not as much onus on heading the ball, I don't think, in countries like Spain, Italy, Brazil, as there is in, in, in this country. So I don't want heading the ball being banned whatsoever. I think it's a big part of the game. It's got It's, it's going to have a big part for, for years and years to come. I think Frank Lampard said that he thinks it would be a good idea if heading was reduced in training. Because when I first went to Watford, I, as I said to you, I weren't, I weren't strong when I was 15, 16. It wasn't until I went to Watford uh, um, and I was in the youth team And there was me and Dean with The former Newport manager up front And after every training session Tom Wally the, the youth team manager He would take the two of us He'd get the two full backs The two wingers Just crossing balls Crossing balls into the box And honestly 45 minutes We would just be in there Bang Heading the ball, Trying to score And we loved it We loved it just, I wouldn't change a thing about my, my career I don't want I don't, to I don't want To blame anybody That's not what it's about for me I just want to catch early signs, if I have got signs that I've got it, that's all I want. I don't want to play. No one put a gun to my head to sign a contract with the six club that I played for. I want to be a footballer. That was my dream. The reason why I've, I've got involved is maybe I a little bit selfish that if, if something is going to happen to me in five, six, seven years' time, I'd rather know now by doing these tests than all of a sudden things Start
0: creeping up, probably. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, if you well, for me as well, for being a script writer, because I, I mean, I, I wrote, um, there was a particular play I'll, I'll tell you about, right? And um, it was about setting in a, in a purgatory, like in a waiting room kind of thing. And one of the characters on there was, um, one of the characters on there suffered from dementia. He, he was an elderly gent, but it, I, I wrote in this in the, in the script that um, he um. He said he was given so much. It's uh, like, right, well, you you got to spend so much time, and and I, I said that he didn't know where to start because he got the signs of dementia, and because of the, you know, it's all up in the air, and it could cause a lot of stress in that. And one of the things, and you know, they've done it in a lot of programs, and I remember one where um, they said because they caught it early, you can you can this particular character can set it out and you know plan further ahead before you know it starts. Rapidly declining, and, and it's just, and I, I mean, luckily, God forbid, touch wood. Um, my family, uh, especially my, my BAMP, who is not, um, he hasn't got it, but because you know, a lot of elderly people are very forgetful, you, you think, oh, hang on a minute, but uh, luckily, he's just an old fat. But
1: uh... <laughs> this, I, what, what, I, I, I look, and there's certain tests that people do for, for certain cancers at a certain age. And for me, this is similar. Mm. When someone's spent his whole life, as Michael Gray has, uh, Dr. Michael Gray, um, in, in in getting this study together, you know, he's, he's worked tirelessly over many, many years to, to put these courses together and this study together. He wants to help ex-players like, like myself. Why wouldn't I? Do you know what I mean? Why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I be, be a part of it? And, and, and it is an experiment, you know, and, and it's not just about professional footballers, it's about amateur players. Now, I was in this documentary. I was speaking to a a, 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 a man called Wynn Roberts up in up in Ghanavir, and he'd lost his dad through it. And his dad had played amateur football for about forty years. Uh, and, and his dad would have been about the same age as my dad. So he, about the time when those balls were the, the the leather knitting, and if you caught it wrong, it would absolutely smash your head. Um, so it's not just about ex-professional football. It's, it's about men in football, women in football, of, of all ages. Um, and you know, hopefully, the the study that we're doing that we can have a better uh, idea and a better understanding of this horrible disease.
0: Hmm. Let's get on to you know your, your career now with uh, all the all the clubs you played for.
1: Only six, mate. Only six. You make it sound
0: it's about like 26 or something like that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. But uh, big clubs and all, and you know, especially where they've come from, you know, especially like, I mean, Leicester, I mean, winning the Premier League years and years down the line. The 5,000 to 1 team on the odds to win the Premier League. God, you've got to feel lucky for Leicester City fans who have, whoever put a five pound bet on in the, and just to go, oh, yes, please, thank They're you.
1: Hey, bet. bet, I tell you. <laughs> I know we're bait and, and do you know what I, I, I get asked many times what my favourite club was and it's it's like it's like us being asked who's your favourite child I've got three children and I could never ever pick one do you know what I mean I'm um, I love my time at Leicester it's a great club it's, it's a great city uh, from, from the minute I signed I had a good relationship with the fans I mean I, I scored two goals on my debut against Wolverhampton which sort of as a forward that's what you want to you want to Score a goal as soon as you can, really. You you don't want to be going eight, nine, ten games before you start scoring. Um, so I, I, I hit it off with them straight away. I was only there for two and a half years, but I loved every second of it. You know, two promotions to the Premier League through the playoffs. Um, yeah, we got relegated in, in between, um, but yeah, Leicester's, Leicester's a fantastic club, and I, it's I still obviously I, I still look out for their results. I was absolutely chuffed to bits. They, they won the Premier League so I still go back there now at, uh, obviously it's a King Power now and not Filbert Street and the welcome that I get as an ex-professional honestly mate it's magnificent um, and that's why Leicester will always be a club that's close to my heart even though and looking back looking back I made a big mistake in, in leaving the club uh, my contract was, was running out uh, Martin O'Neill was the manager he didn't want me to leave uh, I didn't want to leave my, my family was settled there with a good good dressing room, you know, good squad. Um, cut my nose off to spite my face because something happened with the then chairman, uh, Martin George, said something that he should have, shouldn't have before the playoff final in 95 against Crystal Palace um, and it left a bad taste in my mouth to be honest with you. But looking back and I've always been a big believer you shouldn't really have any regrets in your career, whatever career, whatever path you've chosen. But if, if I have one regret in in life and in, in my footballing career, I think it has to be leaving Leicester when uh, when I did, because they went on um, they went on to have what, seven eight years consecutively in the Premier League, finishing in the top half, League Cup finals. You know, I, I made a, a bit of a mistake, but you live and learn. Hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, and uh, I really wanted to mention Leicester as well because I got it on the the list of uh, some of the questions I had, and uh, especially with Leicester City, you know, when when you um, got promoted to the Premier League, you know, even though it was one season in the Premiership for you, but what was it it like competitively in that Premiership at that time comparing to what it is now? What was it like for you, for Leicester, back then?
1: I mean, we, we... We were always up against it, mate, to be honest with you. We were always going to be in, in a battle, in a fight, to stay, stay in the league. And we knew it. We knew it as a squad of players. Brian Little didn't probably <clears throat> strengthen as much as he should have. Uh, whether he had the finances, I don't know. Um, he, he, I think I think he brought two or three in. We brought Mark Draper in from Dox County. He was a magnificent player. Um, and... He we got relegated, he went then on went to play for, for Aston Miller. He was too good to play in the championship. To be, but but looking at the squad, we just I don't think we were quite up to Premier League level at that time. And and I I I look at I think the defensive side and the defences we came up with were far stronger and far better than what they had now. Yeah. I look at Arsenal's back four, you know, you had Tony Adams, Martin Keel, uh, Manchester United. Pallister, Bruce, players like that. Des Walker was playing. It was hard work. It was hard work. And what did I get? I only played f- 36 games. or I didn't, I didn't start the first two or three games. I scored nine goals, which it's not great. It's not great. It would be bad now, I don't think, if, if you're getting nine goals in the Premier League. I think i would be worth about 40 million quid. Uh, but it was hard work, mate. And I, I look at my career... Um, and I, I played in the old first division when I was a young boy at Watford, but only one season in the Premier League. It was hard work, and I always, I, I'm, I'm firmly, I'm quite honest. I was a Championship player, if I'm honest with you. I, I, I would be confident that I could get you 15-20 goals uh, a season at that level, you know. I'd have to be in a good side to get you that in in, in, in the Premier League. So I'm, I'm realistic enough, mate, to to look back and, and think, yeah, I I was I was a decent player at Championship level, but it was hard work at Premier League level.
0: You know what? One of the I really want to mention this particular uh, game. It was in the playoffs, and I think it was the promotion, the second promotion you got to the Premier League. But it was against Stoke City, and um, it, it was around about the time where. I know I when, when I did my research, he said you were in danger because you, you celebrated a goal and the Stoke City fans were going to pitch Invasion. Neil I, Lennon. I, I, yeah. No, that's I was going to say Neil. it was a Neil Lennon and it was someone else. Uh, th- this is my list of questions. <laughs> but um, it was Neil Lennon. I can't remember if it was someone else. It was... Where was it? Uh, Neil that's Lennon. He is it? Yeah, that's it.
1: We played... Um... We played Stoke in, in the semi-final of the playoffs. We, played, we finished sixth and we, we put a good run together just to finish in that sixth position. So obviously we played the team that finished third, which was, was Stoke. Uh, played the first game at Philber Street. I think we drew one all the first game and we went to the Victoria ground. It wasn't the, the Britannic; They had all stayed in the Victoria ground. Um, and we won 1-0. I think Gary Parker scored a penalty. Park scored, I can't remember. I think it might have been a penalty. I'm not sure. Um, I wasn't playing because I'd broken ribs. So I'd, I'd missed the last six league games with with broken ribs. Uh, but I went and I watched. Some... Oh, not COVID, by the way. <laughs> um, I uh, I went and watched, sat, sat in the dugout. Of course, when the final whistle's gone, uh, as you come out of the dugout at... Uh, the Victorian ground. Our fans were behind the goal to the left. So we've all rushed on and we're all in and around the pen, our penalty box, celebrating with our fans. All of a sudden we've turned around. And I swear to God, the rest of the pitch, over three quarters of the pitch, was just full of Stoke fans. And yeah, probably was scared because they, they, they weren't kids. Do you know what I mean? They were, they were men absolutely after our blood because we shouldn't have been celebrating on. And there might have been a bit of controversy in the game as well with a penalty. I'm not too sure. But yeah, mate, honestly, this, I, it, was, it was a scary moment. And we, we, had to, we had a big... All the mounted police came and, and cordoned off that quarter, or, or yeah, that little quarter where our penalty box were. And we had to stay there. We had to stay outside for about half hour, 45 minutes. So the police could get all the stunt fans to disperse and get them out of the stadium. Before we eventually got back into uh, back into the, the dressing room, I mean I, that's probably the only time I've ever been scared. On uh, it, it, weren't like one or two. I'm talking thousands. It's as if the whole three other sides of the stand had emptied and they'd all gone to the pitch. What what happened with um, Neil Lennon
0: and um, and muzzy Is it then? Because they because I was ripped
1: rip off. So I don't, don't think they got yeah. I, I don't think they got into any trouble. I don't think they got. But I, I do remember. I think they might have stripped, not stripped off, threw shirts and their shorts into the Leicester fans and I think they were. They were. They were just They were there, just their socks up to their knees, and the white sort of slips that you wear under under your match shorts. Oh my god! Yeah, that's. I think that's. None of it, I mean, we didn't get into any trouble. The, the, they couldn't get past the mounted police, and why would they try? but yeah I think because obviously we, we were celebrating summer tonight, I, think, I think Leonard and uh, Neil and Muzzy had thrown their shirts and shorts as as sort of souvenirs to the Leicester fans behind that goal thinking we oh, will only be a couple of minutes we'll be off in the <laughs> change and they were there for about half an hour just in their slips <laughs>
0: I could just see Neil and going uh, like that
1: <laughs> hey you know what Stokes like on a Tuesday night yeah <laughs> yeah yeah you know, this was this was May time because it was the end of
0: the season, I suppose. So it was about six degrees then in so. stone Oh man! Just going on to um, Watford now. Um, just going on to where it all started for you. But um, I, I, I've you've probably been asked about your career because you were young. You know, you you started out at Watford. You know, um, but I really wanted to know about um, Malcolm Allen and uh, 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 Wally as well because. Those two were Welsh speaking, um, people from Wales. And did they help you a lot in terms of getting comfortable? And also, did they speak Welsh to you during training and everything?
1: Um, They they were the reason why I joined Watford, really, to be honest with you. Uh, I'd known Malcolm since I was about 15, 16, because we played against each other in in the Carnarvon and Dresden Youth League um, in in, in Gwynedd. He was playing for it's the best team in the league. I was playing for Harlech. Uh, me and my brother were playing as centre half, so I played against Malcolm on a few occasions. So I, so I knew Malcolm, and I knew I'd watched this, the early parts of his career. I knew we'd gone to Watford, um, and I was playing for the Welsh youth team, uh, and their manager was Winnowin, uh, I think his name was, and he was from Carnarvon, and he he knew Tom Wally really well, so he, he rang Tom up, and said, "Listen, I've got got centre forward. He's a big lad. He's, he's Watford's type of player. I think you should have a look at him." I've you know I've been to I've been to Leeds for a trial I've, I've been to Wolves for a month I've been to Manchester United and played two games for them and and they'd offered me a two year apprenticeship and a year's professional contract but as soon as I went down to to Watford you know Tom was a Welsh speaker Malcolm was a a Welsh speaker and they did they made it ever so easy for me to settle and yeah we, Tom would speak to me in Welsh when we were training he, he loved it because none of the others would understand what we were talking about and me and Malcolm when we, when we played um, I don't think we played too many first team games together but we played quite a lot of reserve teams because you had a reserve league uh, uh, then back then and I think that's the best thing that could that as, as a play, you can as a young player, you, you can have because you're playing against experienced pros and, and this and that but me and Malcolm uh, yeah we speak Welsh in in, in, in in I can remember a few years ago and, I, and me and Malcolm were working at a game together uh, and Martin Keogh was there we played against Martin when he was in Arsenal's reserves because he, he's sort of similar age to Tim, to, to Bia and Malley, And he came up to us and he was talking to us and he was like, I, can have, I ate, hated playing against you two because you two kept on talking that Welsh language, didn't you? And it was, it was good, mate. Like, and that's, we, we, sort of, we, were, we were Welsh speakers. We spoke Welsh at home to our parents. So why would we speak? It was probably easier for us to speak Welsh than it was English. Although you will not be able to tell that now, the way Malcolm Allen speaks English,
0: like a proper Cockney geezer. Yeah. No, it's, it's a fair play to um, Malcolm Allen. It's like, um, we're, I'm having plans with him to get on the podcast, but because of his sh- schedule, like, and fair play his schedule, it's just on point. But he did say, um, you, you would one day come on. But the, the passion he gives on S4C, the comedy, so, you know on point, you know, very loud, very uh, descriptive, articulate when it comes to us Welsh and everything. And because um, I do a lot of ball boy work with Barrytown Football Club, and uh, because of the COVID thing, I remember they did the um, the new uh, Newtown and Connors game live television here. And you could, even with crowds and you could just hear Malcolm in the background just speaking, giving his play by play. <laughs> I
1: tell you what, if, if you if you get a chance, um, listen back or watch the highlights of the Wales Belgium game in the Euros, and I th- I see the Hal's goal or Big Sam's goal. I, I'm not too sure. I, I think it's um, I'm not. I, I, I think it's um, Five Lives commentary, um, and, and they obviously the has been scored. All you can hear. It's Malcolm screaming in the background. He is—he's a passionate Welshman. He's—he's—he's he's, he's a Welshman through and through. Uh, he was a great teammate. And people don't realise—he uh, was a top finisher. Chris. honestly, mate. I, you know, I've—I've I've, I've played with some good forwards. I've trained with some good forwards. He was as cool and calm and collected in front of goal as some of the best ones I've—I've I've played and trained with. Mm. Honestly, and his his career was cut short through a really bad knee injury, he'd have gone on, I think if you look at his, I think he's got, he got 15 caps for Wales and, and three goals. And not all those caps he'd started, he'd come off the bench. Had he not got injured, he'd have, he'd have been, gone on to be, be been a fantastic player, I tell you. I mean, he was, good play, he was a good, very good player anyway. Uh, but yeah, he'd have had a great career. He really, really would have had a, I mean, so cool in front of the goal. One of, one of the best finishers I've ever seen.
0: Yeah. Um, The one thing I really want to talk to you about is Graham Taylor and uh, the, I always call my little sister, she's she's only, she's in her teens, uh, starting year seven, and even she knows Graham Taylor, she keeps going, she went, do I not like that, and everything, and I'm thinking, how do you know that, it's just, because it's one of those um, things that only people from, maybe the 80s, 90s, early 2000s will probably remember because, but what was Green Taylor like? Because I know he wasn't, he was only there for that one season when you started out in the senior, but what was he like as, as a person and as a manager?
1: For, for me at the time, he was the, the best manager I could have wished for. A gentleman, had a lovely nature about him. You know, I wouldn't say he was soft, I think that'd be wrong, but he just, he was a, a nice, nice man. But, and there's always a but, he had a side to him that you did not want to see. He scared the life out of players. And I'm talking about experienced lads, you know, Kenny Jacket, John Barnes, Luther Blissett, Tony Cohen, John McClellan. We were all shit scared of him. We did not want to cross Graham Taylor. He gave me my debut uh, when I was 18, playing Manchester United at, at Mickridge Road. Uh, and those were the days where you could only have two subs, I think, and it was nil-nil at half time. He wasn't happy about one or two things, so he changed it at halftime. He took he brought took, he put me on, took Warren Sterling off, um, and I scored the winner. We won one-nil. And for the Liverpool fan, I didn't get any better, do you know what I mean? Scoring the winner against Manchester United. So I've got so much to thank Graham Taylor for. You know, always used to ask you know, when when I started working for the BBC. I'd bump into him at different grounds. He was working for Five Live. He would always ask how my parents were. He was, he was a great man, absolute great man. And I, you know, I can't thank him enough for the opportunity that, that he gave me when I was, when I was a young boy. But there was one story, and I thought, I thought I was going to get a sack. It was after, after my debut against Ipswich. Um, sorry, my first goal was against Manly. and my debut was against Ipswich in my first season. and I think I was 17, 18 um, anyway, we played Ipswich And a f- about six of the YTS boys uh, We'd been ready to go out for a meal On a Saturday night in St Albans Not drinking, just going out for something to eat uh, But the mistake I did I'd played on the, on the Saturday It was bank holiday in, in April time So we had a game on the Monday as well We were playing Arsenal at Highbury on the Monday Of course the rules are 40 hours before a game You're not allowed in licensed premises Which means restaurants as well really so we've, we've, we've met up in St Albans, there was me, Tim Sherwood a couple of the other boys. And because we were, we were a bit early to the restaurant, the table wasn't ready, so we've gone to the pub next door. We've only had a Coke, uh, we, weren't, we weren't drinking alcohol, but we weren't supposed to be there. And little did we know that there was someone in that pub that was one of Tom's Wally, Tom Wally's best mates. So he was straight on the phone to Tom and said, some of your boys are in the pub course and we were in training on the Sunday and we didn't know anything about it until the Sunday my mate Steve Thorne who I who I lived with in Diggs, Cock- Cockney Lad, Gingerhead Cockney Lad, he came I think he was out with us and uh, he came running up to me and he says "Robo, Robo, Tom knows everything Tom knows everything I went what do you mean Tom knows everything he knows where who, who knows who was out where we were what we were drinking I knew Tom would go and tell Graham Taylor. Anyway, um, nothing was we said that we, we t- uh, Graham Taylor called a meeting in the home dressing room at Victory Road because we were training at the ground. And he started off with, in front of everybody, the, you know, the senior pros, kids, everybody, all cool, all calm, all collected. he went, right, I want to know what fucking six went out last night. And he went, he looked at Tim Sherwood, he went, fucking no, you were out, just for starters. So we've all had to put our hands in, we? Oh my it. I absolutely shit myself. I thought, right, that's it. I've played one game, the career's over. Because it was, it, it could have sacked us if they wanted to. It, it was a sackable offence. Not that we were drinking, we shouldn't have been in a pub 40 hours before the game. And I learned my lesson, I learned my lesson there and then. I would have started at Highbury, uh, but because of what had happened, he, he dropped me. He started Malcolm. I was on the bench. I think we might have won the game. Malcolm scored the winner, and it was the the most the hardest but the most valuable lesson I learned in my in my and career. I never made the same mistake again.
0: Were you disappointed that when he left? Was you did you feel like yeah. you, did you feel like oh you wanted more of him because
1: yeah yeah he'd been there a long time you know he'd he'd been there when they were in. League Four, Division Four in the old days. So he brought them from Division Four to three to two to the Division One. They they finished second behind Liverpool. They got to an FA Cup final. Uh, maybe he'd taken the club as far as he. But I, I was good you know, and the club was the club was you know the fans, the people who worked at the club, the players, because he was such a great man, and we could understand it. You know, the lure of Aston Villa, big club. You know. European Cup Winners Champions League when it is now. Uh, back in in eighty one, we could understand it. Uh, and we we, I think the news broke the day we were meant to go to China on an end of season tour for two weeks to play in the in a in a cup out there. And the cut the, the 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 trip was going to be cancelled because we hadn't got a manager to to take us. Uh, and in the end. Uh, Elton John stepped in with his manager John Reed, and he was like, "Right, this trip isn't being cancelled. The club spent a lot of money. I'll take you. I'll be your manager." So yeah, he took us to he took us to China. We I think we played three games. I think we won the, we won the tournament. because um, we we, and I'm talking late eighties, so China then isn't what it is now. Do you know what I mean? And uh, I think I lost about a stone and a half because I didn't eat anything. I, packed my suitcase with Twixes, with Mars bars, um, all the crap that you shouldn't eat because I don't like Chinese food anyway, so I wouldn't eat it then. And he said, before the last game, he'd said, "Right boys, we need to win this game to win the tournament." I, th- I think we played the China national team in in our last game, and if we beat them, we'd we we'd win the the tournament. He said, "If you win if you win today, I will treat you. What I'll do, I'll import the best steaks." that America's got. I'll import them from America because obviously you're not that far from America if you go the other way around sort of thing and we can all have a good proper slap-up meal tonight. We, we, won, we won the tournament. Honestly, these steaks, they were absolutely massive and they were magnificent and I swear to God because me and Malcolm from North Wales, I was running with Malcolm at the time, uh, we hadn't really eaten anything uh, and what I'd done as the as the 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 waiters are putting the steaks down Malcolm's done the fatal thing he's got up and gone to the toilet and I knew Malcolm loved his salt you see so what I did I ended the top on the salt put it down because I knew first thing you do when you get back is a bit of salt on the steak so as he's lifted the, the salt up, he's poured it, the top's gone off. <laughs> The whole salt in the pot has emptied on his steak. He went absolutely... He was punching me, and all the, all the lads are cracking up. He's got this mountain of salt on his steak. I, I actually do think I ruined the steak. <laughs> Talk about Saturday night's all right for fighting, isn't it? The <laughs> um, good, good old days, this. <laughs> that's amazing. Oh, do you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold to that. If I ever do get him
0: on, I'm definitely going to say, how is that... <laughs> Take him uh, with a pinch him. of salt, Malcolm.
1: <laughs> Ask him as well what my bad habit was about two o'clock in the, uh, in the morning. It's not fine, is it? <laughs> it's, it's not bad. It's not It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. But uh, it, I had a bad, bad, really bad habit. Well, for a professional athlete, it was a really bad habit. Uh, oh, <laughs> fair play, that was... <laughs> By the way. What's that?
0: It nothing to do with drugs. Oh, no, fair, no, 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 fair play. Oh, man. Um, going on to Wales for a moment. Uh, get a call up, 1989, call up to go play for Terrioros Wales um, against Israel, I think it was, uh, for you. Who gave you the call? How did you feel? And who was in the squad in, in 89?
1: Um, Graham, told, Graham Taylor told me um, he called me to his office at Stanmore where our training ground was and he said listen big man uh, I've just had a call off the of Eddie premier our secretary the Welsh FA have been on to him and you've been called into, into the squad to travel to Israel and I was like I've got, I was absolutely gone Cause I'd done well I'd, you know, I'd done well in the youth team I'd scored a lot of goals in the youth team I'd, I'd played reserve team football because of those goals before I showed up, really, honestly, it was a dream come true. It was a dream come true. I absolutely shit myself. Honestly, it was. It was yeah, people like Neville Southall, Dean Saunders, Kenny Kenny Jackett, with who I knew at, at Watford, Robbie James, uh, Big Nev, Ian uh, Rush. I don't think Rushy was there. I think that's maybe why I being called in, sort of thing. Uh, but we were, and I'd seen these, I'd, I'd watched these lads on Match of the Day. Do you know what I mean? I was, I was in all of them. I was, I, Russia might have been there. I'm not sure actually, because I think Russia might have been there. Um, and I remember we 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 flew to Israel from Heathrow, so uh, I've met the squad and never said a word. You just, as as a young boy, you just got your head down and and, and didn't try and be too big time, Charlie, which I, I would never have been anyway. I've gotten to the plane and it was one of these two seats on the left aisle, two seats on the on the on the right aisle, and I've, I've sat in the uh, in the seat right next to the aisle. I was like, right, who am I going to be sat next with? And players keep coming one after each other: Nev, Rats, uh, Robbie James. And I'm like Mark. Clayton Blackmore was there. I said, Mark Hughes has, has turned the corner, and uh, he's just looked at me. He's gonna. Uh, I'm sitting there. Oh, Mark Hughes. I'm sitting next to Mark Hughes for five hours. So I'm gonna ask him so many questions. So he, he sat there, and he was playing for Barcelona. I think he was at Barcelona by Munich at the time. And he he, he sat there. And I, honestly, I, I, just, I was so nervous. Mate. So I went. Um, what's it like? In, what was it like in Barcelona? He was like, all right. He would join by Munich. He went, Yeah, it's all right. I said, just like two-word answers. So I'm like, I don't think he really wants to talk. So I, I never said anything else for four and a half hours. I just sat in my seat and said nothing. But I think that's what that's what Spikey was like. Sparky was I mean, Spikey was good mates with Mark Bowen, Glenn Hodges, uh Clayton Blackmore for obvious reasons. So and I was a I was a new New lad sort of thing. I was a, a young boy. He didn't really want to be spending time talking to me, sort of thing. And, and funnily enough, uh, towards the end of my my, Sparky gave me more more Welsh caps than than any other manager. To be fair, so I've got a lot to be thankful of. But he, at that time he didn't want to be talking to a ginger-haired young Welsh international, did he?
0: <laughs> no, probably not. And it's uh, but fair play to him for mentioning because you played under four managers. Uh, for Wales a lot of uh, famous games especially against Argentina Brazil Portugal which I'll mention uh, Brazil in a minute but um, just mention Marc Hughes for a minute what was it like as a player and what what was the difference apart from the obvious being manager and a player but what what did he offer as a manager first of all he was a magnificent player ah, well,
1: we all know that we all know he's a magnificent, magnificent goals that he scored Strength, first touch awareness. Uh, just an absolutely top top professional footballer. As a coach, um, he was he was he was good technically. You know, he had he had a good team with him. To be fair, um, he had Mark Bowen. He had Vicky, um got Eddie Harrison, who was his youth team manager at Manchester United, who who sort of was the coach for the. For the team of ninety two, we brought all those stars through, so he had a good team. I think the, the most impressive thing for me about Mark was his team talks, and it, 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 he wasn't a real rantor and raver. And I can't remember where we were, but I think it was a game we had to win. It was such an important game, and it was it was in Eastern Europe somewhere, I, but I can't remember where. we addressed in the before the game, and he's just come out with this this like team talk and about being Welsh and what it means to be Welsh. He brought our families into it. Uh, and he, he just kept a, a calm, quiet voice throughout the whole team talk. By the, by the time he finished, we wanted to fight the world. Honestly, it was, it was inspiring. And you know, whether he got that from someone like Sparky, uh, from, from someone like Fergie, I, I don't know. But that's, that's one thing that I will never forget with, with Mark Hughes. Um, that that team talk, motivation. You know, people say, "Oh," and I think players motivate themselves really. Managers shouldn't really have to motivate professional footballers. Uh, but that day Jesus, did he motivate us with with the team talks that he gave? And and I, we had some big big characters in, in that dressing like Chris Coleman, Gary Speed, bless him, Nathan Blake, John Hartson. Uh, we had some big players, and we were all mate. Honestly, we were like. Come on, let's have, let's get, let's get this done. Let's get this game run before we went out. It was, it was inspiring team talk. Was you?
0: Was you playing in the game where John Toshak first came to Wales, which was Norway three no, one?
1: No, no, I wasn't. I wasn't. No, no okay. in we lost 2-0, zero, didn't we, at Indian Park?
0: I think it was three three one. I mean, and I, there was,
1: I, I, I wasn't involved I, I, for one reason or another, but. Obviously, he he brought the brunt of the Welsh FA letting Terry Orth go really because Terry was a massive favourite with with the fans. He, he nearly got us to a to a major tournament when we missed out. we losing to with that Romania game at the old I uh, said Indian Park, the old the old Arms Park, um, and they wouldn't give him a new contract for for whatever reason. And you know, John took over. It wasn't. A, it wasn't a great performance. It was a bad defeat, and he, he bore the bore the brunt of that. Hence why he left. He didn't realise how bad it was going to going to be, and hence he walked away. So no, I, I wasn't involved. I wasn't. I think I watched. I think I watched the game on telly. Um, I can't remember. Where would I I would have been at Leicester at the time. Uh, no, but I I didn't. I, I wasn't involved.
0: No. I no. That's fair enough because uh, it was because your career. It was just. It's a 1989, first cap for Wales. Then he yeah. jumped to ninety two, yeah. then he jumped to ninety four, then to two thousand. So you're very lucky not to be managed by Bobby Gould. I'll tell you that. <laughs>
1: I was I was with Gouldy? Oh, was you? What you was? I got a few cats with Gouldy. I was oh. I was in the squad when Gouldy took us up to the prison, uh sort of as a prison sort of not monastery but up that way sort of thing, uh, and we trained there on a few occasions. I mean, Gouldy was. Bobby's Bobby and I like Bobby. Uh, I'm not sure how many caps he gave me. I mean, I I tell a story, and it's a true story, that um, I remember when I was playing for Wolves, um, I think it was the second game of of the season, and we were playing Bradford at Bollandew, and Jonathan, his son, was playing a goal for Bradford. And in the first 10 minutes, the ball's been played from the left-hand side into their six-yard box. And I have slid in, because that's the only way I could get anything onto the ball. And Jonathan's come sliding out, to get the ball, and we've collided. And my studs has caught him here, and I've opened this, honestly, I've opened his throat up all the way down there. I mean, I think he was really lucky, do you know what I mean? Because I, I, I didn't realise what I'd done to start, to start off with, so I've gone up to see if he was all right. Honestly, the gash was like that all the way down there. Obviously, he's taken off, um, and even now, when I've, when I've seen him, seen him over the years, he's got a massive scar. All the way down here. it was totally unintentional I just had eyes on the ball I thought I had a great chance of scoring he's come out head first and it was just a, it was just an innocent clash uh, I don't think from that point on Bobby picked me too many times for for the national team I, I, I'm not saying that was that's, that was the reason but something in the back of my mind sort of I, I do think he held that against me and as I say it was a complete accident. It was a complete freak accident.
0: Yeah, yeah, no. I, I, and in football, anything can happen, especially with legs flying, you know, instead. Yeah.
1: You know, I lost my I lost my front teeth. I, I'll tell you the story about losing my front teeth. Um, <laughs> I was played for Watford. We had a, a friendly in Exeter. I was 18 years of age. Um, there was a lad playing for Exeter who I played with for the Welsh under 18s professional team. I'd called Dan them. We'd roomed together. Um, he, was a, he was a winger. And um, he was picking me up from a set piece, I think it was a free kick, so he was picking me up for some reason. Anyway, we've both got up to for this ball in there, he's just gone bang and he's caught me straight. by he did knock them out, but I mean, they were a mess, and and I knew they were a mess. And the physio's come on, he's had a look, he's gone up, Oh, you've only cut your gum, uh, you've only cut your lip, probably you're all right. But I knew I knew there was something not, not right, so I've carried on and played, played the full game, got in after, and I've gone. Uh, the physio was called Billy Hales for what, then I went, Billy something's not right, I mean, can you get the club doctor to come in and have a look? So the, the extras club doctor's come in, he's he said, oh yeah, you have took a bad smash there. Uh, you need to go to the dentist first thing tomorrow. So I've gone to the dentist the next day, didn't sleep a wink at night. I woke up the next morning, But because we stayed at extra University, the pillow was covered in blood. i uh, gone to the dentist, he's had a look, he's gone. I mean, they're, they're not great, they're in, they're in a bad state, I can save them, or they can be saved, but it's going to be months of of hard work and treatment. And I was like, right, I sent it forward, six foot three. I'm going to get more smacks in the face. Going to get more more smacks around my mouth teeth. I went, I just take them out. So I, he whipped them out, and hence I've I've never had my three front teeth. So accidents happen. You know yeah. uh, that's it's part and parcel of the game.
0: You know, with your front teeth now, is it dentures or is it, are they screwed in or what? Dentures. Dentures, are they? Oh. <laughs> Wait a minute, shall we were we good because yeah, it's the voice there. Let's have a look again. Oh, Flimleck. Oh. If you haven't seen that, you... I've
1: had them since I was 18, so I'm used yeah. to them now. I'm used to it. And People say, oh, why don't you get implants? Because, because the, the, the smack I got was that bad. Um, and and they'd fractured in the gum. The dentist had to sort of cut my gum open and get the little bits of teeth that were still left in there. So my gums are all over the shop, really. So I don't know if I would be... Possibly a bridge, but I think it implant's out of the question for me.
0: Right. Um, Going back onto Wales, then, because uh, you played for a lot lot of games, a lot of big matches and all, especially one against Brazil. Um, Not the best... uh, not the best uh, games because of the result, but it's an experience for you.
1: Ah, great experience. Uh, Millennium Stadium, I think it was the first time the roof had been closed for a football game. Um, we lost 3-0, but you're talking about world champions. I think in two two years after we played them, they, they won the World Cup in Korea and Japan, I think. Um, and they were... I, I, Ronaldo didn't play, but all the other big hitters were there. Do you know what I mean? And uh, it was it was a fantastic experience. Um, I can remember uh, we've gone out to warm up on the on the on the Millennium pitch. They didn't even come out to warm up because in in the dressing rooms in the Millennium, you've got a big indoor area where you can have a warm up if you want. I think it was that cold that they decided we're doing our warm up in here. But they were, and I think the man of the match was. Roger Freestone, uh, I think I've got a feeling that might have been Roger's first cap and he, he was outstanding on the day. Uh, but yeah, it, it was such a great experience. The only the only bad thing about that night is I never managed to get a Brazilian shirt, which I'd always wanted from a young kid from when I'd seen them in the 82 World Cup. I was like, right, oh, I always wanted to play against Brazil. I always wanted to get that famous yellow shirt. But sadly, uh, I tried to get uh, S- Silvino, the who to play for Arsenal. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think it was it Silvino. There was a left back who was playing for Arsenal. who was playing for Brazil, and I'd played against him a few weeks before in a in a friendly for Norwich. So he sort of remembered me, and as soon as the final whistle has gone, I've made a bee line for him, and I, oh, I've swap shirts. He went, Ah, oh, it's my first cap, so I want to keep my. Cap. And I could understand really; it's his first time he played, so he wanted to keep the shirt. And by the time I've gone for someone else, either the lads had got them. Or the or the Brazilian boys had gone into the dressing room. So I, I missed out on the Brazil shirt.
0: <laughs> oh mate, I feel your pain. I feel. That's your... it. That's it. Oh mate, but you know, with with that though, with um, the the squads that you've been with through your Wales career, there's some big characters there. I mean, you had Dean Saunders, you had big John Harts and you had big Neville Southall and, I um, mean, Gary Spee was a character himself, you know. But I want to know, what was, um, who was the, the biggest character of them all during your time? And have you got uh, any funny stories to tell during your time at Wales?
1: Um, I mean, Dean disorders was probably the funniest, the joker of the pack. Uh, always had stories to tell and he'd keep you entertained for, for hours and hours and hours. I remember going on a, a, a mid-season break to La Manga, not to, with the Welsh squad, not to play, but just to 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 train as a squad mm-hmm. and, and one thing or another, i a few nights out. Um, and we landed in Alicante, and then we had about a three-hour bus journey from Alicante Airport to La Manga. Um, and honestly, that three hours went like three minutes because we were all sat towards the back of the coach, and Dino was just like, one funny story after another. Ah, oh, he, he's like because he, he's great at impressions. He could do Brian Clough. He can do Big Ron. Um, you 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 name someone and and Dino will try his best to impersonate him. Honestly, he was he was hysterical. Absolutely hysterical. I mean, Big John's a massive character. You know, big big character. Uh, Nev Nev was brilliant with me when I first got in the squad. Uh, <laughs> Nev looked after the young lads because it's. Dressing is a ruthless place, to do you know what I mean? And you can sink or swim. If if you get a bit of stick off some of the senior pros, man, they can it can ruin you, do you know what But you've got to be able to you've got to be strong enough to to, to take that. Um Big was good as gold. Big Nev was brilliant. He sort of took you to one side and listen, don't let get to you. They're, they're only testing your character, see what you like. They don't mean it. Um, everybody's gone through it. Never's brilliant with me. I've 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 got a lot of time for, for never.
0: You know what? I, I, I've heard a lot of stories about big Neville Southall, whether or not he was at Everton, Bury or um, Wales and everything. And apparently if, um, he, he he strongly dislikes bullying, which I, I, I'm i not surprised at all. But I've heard some stories that, um, you know, there have been players, you know, trying to st- gang up on one or something and then Neville just come in and go grab him. It's like, hey, you, you better back off and everything, you know.
1: I've played... I played in a, a charity match in Lowestoft in, in Suffolk. Obviously, I live down there. Uh, I can't remember what charity it was. But Big Nev was playing for us as well. And obviously, Nev's put a bit of weight on since he's, he, he finished playing. And as we're walking out, there's this father and son. Uh, and he it was, it was only a young boy. And uh, he's gone to his, his dad as his Nev's walked past. I went, who's that? Because obviously, Nev was a, a, bit, a little bit overweight. And his dad went, listen, said. At, th- at the time, he was the best goalkeeper in the world. A few years ago, he was the best goalkeeper on the planet. And he was right. Nev was, Nev was unbelievable. We do, a, we do a shooting practice against Nev after, after the training session. He wouldn't use his hands. He would die. He would head the balls away. He'd get, get his shoulders on to him. He'd get any part of his body apart from his arms and hands. And he keep them. up. Maybe that's because we were shit finishing. I don't know, but but honestly, that's how good Nev was. That's how good
0: Nev was. Oh, do you know what? I'll tell you a quick story about Big Nev. Um, uh, I've met him twice, and I'd love to have him on the podcast. Love it, absolutely. It would probably go for hours on end. But um, I remember the once. It was at a Comic Con, and uh, it was a it was Cardiff's one of. Cardiff's first ones, and he brought in all these football legends, you know, John Arton, Terry Oroff, Leighton James, Nev was there, Alan Curtis. But I remember, you know, when when it comes to Comic-Cons and that, you're not allowed to go behind the tables, not allowed to sit with them and everything, right? And um, and I remember ne- Neville Southall was on his own, so I was with a friend of mine, and I went over and said, oh, um, got the autograph and everything, and he was talking to me, he went, take a seat. And someone said, um, you're not allowed to sit there. And he went, you can sit wherever he fucking likes. <laughs> and uh, oh, I was amazed fair play to him. <laughs> and we did that for an hour. And my friend was just kind of n- oblivious to who he was. And I'm just looking at it thinking, you are a God. To- and I'll be honest, you said you were Liverpool. I'm Everton. So... Who uh, <laughs> <do> knows, <laughs> <laughs> yeah? Um, yeah. That's my dad my dad that I is. And I remember, yeah, so there's, it was just looking at one of my dad's heroes, and that's why I was so glad that I got Kevin Ratcliffe. You know, he yeah. brought a tear to my dad's so eye having Kevin Ratcliffe. He thought, why don't, you,
1: why don't you ask Rats if he can get hold of Neb, see if he'll come on? Yeah, well,
0: I've asked him, but um, the, the problem is, uh, I asked him when I first had uh, Rats on the um, the first time. He said he he would only do it if you took politics. Some if you mentioned politics. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. He's big into politics.
0: Yeah. 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 And don't get me wrong, I mean, I I support him what he stands for and everything. Don't get me wrong. But when you, when,
1: it's like... It's hard. Yeah. Politics is hard. Listen, mate, I have to go in five minutes. Is that all right?
0: Yeah, no worries. No problem at all. Um,
1: Come on again. I can come on again.
0: Yeah, no worries. Then, uh, well, it's a final... It's going to be a part one anyway. I I knew it was going to be a part two anyway. But um, but that's a final question for you then is how did the uh, Norwich... City, uh, come about then for you?
1: People think, oh, because I was there for seven years uh, and I did enjoy my time there. Got to say, it's, it's, it's a good club, uh, it's a well run football club, it's, it's, a, it's a lovely city. Um, uh, it's out of the way. Um, I'd been, I'd, I'd signed for Wolves, I'd signed a three year contract at Wolves, um, but something happened that that season. We finished third, we didn't get promoted. So Jack Haywood sort of he got the arse a little bit, the, the Wolves owner, he put millions into into the into into building the squad. Mark McGee was the manager and he, he told Mark McGee, right, I ain't giving you no more money. If if you if you want new players for next season, you're gonna have to sell to finance it yourself. So fair enough. And um, Norris made an offer for for myself, Mike Walker was the manager. Um, Mark McGee pulled me into the office and said, "Listen, big man, to put an off. in, the club's accepted it. I didn't really want to leave. So I, I, I enjoyed my time at Wolves. It was the closest club to me. My mum and dad's in North Wales, so they could come every home game, which was always important to me. Uh, but once, once they'd accepted it, he was basically telling me that I didn't really have a future at the club. So I travelled down to Norfolk, Didn't realise how far it was. Uh, looked around the training facilities, which were brilliant. Looked around Carrer Road. I played there a few times, and I thought, you know what?" I quite fancy this. I do quite fancy this. So I, I said to, that, that, that was on a Friday. I said to Mike Walker, listen, can I have the weekend to think about it? He went, yeah, of course you can. So I, I came, I went back to the Midlands and I would like, oh, do I, I want to root the family again? Because we'd only just moved into a house in in Browsley, Shropshire. Shropshire. And I said, do I want to upheave and, uh, everybody and go down to, to, to North? I'm not sure. And I can remember driving down and I was about 20 minutes away from from Norwich in a place called Snetterton and I pulled into a layby, and I sat there for 10-15 minutes thinking I'm excited I'm going to turn the car I go back to Wolves and fight for this place but something sort of set, told me now you're 15 minutes away they've been good to you you like Mike Walk and I do I've got a lot of respect for Mike who's a Welshman um, so I travelled down signed on the dotted line and was there for the next seven years and the first thing I said is, when I signed I want to try and get the club back into the Premier League that was my main goal, my main ambition, get Norwich back into the, into the big time. It took me seven years, uh, but in my last season, we, we managed to do it. And I think, and I've, I've said this many, many times, the main reason why we did it is because we signed Darren Huckabee. He was absolutely, head and shoulders, the best player in that league. He was the X factor for us. Um, without him, we might have finished in the top six, but he was the difference between us being a playoff team and winning
0: the league well then uh, you and I know you're a very busy guy so you um, have to make a move in a moment but I would love for you to come back. I've got so much more questions for you, you I
1: really enjoyed it mate I love talking football yeah I love
0: talking. We'll, we'll go for a second part and that's a, a promise here guys we'll,
1: uh, we'll, we'll yeah. yeah I'll come on
0: so uh, guys, don't worry. a Part two will be coming to them. We'll uh, me and we will arrange some uh, some time in the future for you guys because we got so much more questions to go. And uh, and normally I always uh, conclude uh, a question of how do you look back on your career to conclude the podcast. But I'll probably leave that for part two so that Problem, following. Problem. So thank you, and Roberts, for coming on. i look forward to seeing you again soon. This uh,
1: no worries. Speak,
0: speak to you soon. Take bye care. Bye. So, guys, that was and Roberts for the Dragon's Voice podcast, and I hope you um, really enjoyed it as much as I have. Make sure you like, share, subscribe to the channel. Uh, Always, always just support us in so much, you know, and thank you so much for following and uh, staying committed to the Dragon's Voice podcast. It really means a lot. So, guys, I've been your host, Julie Reese. That was and Roberts, part one. But part two will be coming soon.